0: Welcome. Good morning to the Silver Heathen podcast. I'm the Silver Heathen. I'm Scott. Uh, very excited for today. Uh, reading this content, looks like it's going to be another great guest. Uh, you know, things uh, things are, are kind of crazy, but uh, to be able to sit down and talk recovery with somebody that uh, that, that, that gets it and, and wants to tell a story and wants to help other people is super rejuvenating. Um you know, right now, the woman that raised me is in the hospital, uh, that'd be my great grandmother, so things have been kind of uh, hectic the last few days, going on just a few hours sleep, but uh, man, reading this and getting pumped up for a podcast to talk recovery and maybe hopefully help somebody one day, that's uh, that's the shot in the arm that I needed this morning. So, I'm going to go ahead and bring in my guest, uh, Dr. Dallas Bragg. Welcome to the podcast, my friend.
1: Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Go ahead and hit us uh, with whatever you want to tell us a little bit about your background or your story with addiction, um, as much or a little detail as you want.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, well, not to go back too far, but I um, I grew up in West Virginia, and um, I had a, two, a a strange mix of parents. So I had a severely alcoholic, traumatized father, and um, the family there was what I would get like the heathens as you.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, very much rough, um, drinkers, fighters, redneck. And then I had the other side, which was um, very conservative Pentecostal mom. And um, so my dad went into the military early, and we headed off to some of the East Coast of North Carolina, and I didn't see him very often. But when I did, um I as early as I can remember heard a lot of comments from him about how different I was from him and um so then there there were comments about you couldn't be my real son something must have happened there was a (laughs) mix-up because I wasn't a heathen and I was with my mom a lot so you know I was there she was taking us to church and um I kind of adhered to that way Um, And then so anyway, those things came about and caused uh, what I call now an exclusion schema in terms of I felt excluded uh, from my own family, from my own father. Um, And then not only that was my, you know, my mom would catch me early on kind of, I was on a, I remember being, I was on a stage and I was performing, you know, pretending as a child and she busted in and was like, just severely persecuting me about, you know, you don't act like that. That's not how you, that's how, that's not how boys are and that kind of thing. And so the early messages for me was that if I were to reveal my true nature and my true self, that it's not right, it's abnormal and it's not, and I don't belong. Um, So things went on with that. And so in that lens, that framework that I had, the rest of my life lined up to that. Right. So I started finding out all the ways that I didn't belong. You know, it was either either school dances or getting picked last in sports or whatever it was. Um, I found ways to back up and prove that I didn't belong. And I would escalate that. And so I grew up very socially awkward. Hating myself, you know, all those kind of things um, and always seeking the approval of a man. And um, and so there's a lot of uh, people in the homosexual community who will at me for saying that. But a lot of my tendencies toward men came from the fact that I never had approval from my father. And um Maybe I had a propensity to be gay in the first place. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. But I was always trying my best to get something from him, some kind of validation. And um, and so that went on into my adulthood. And um, at 18, I got married to a woman. Um, and that was my way of kind of feeling safe because I was going out into the world and I couldn't be myself. So. I had to play along with, with the church and also believe that I had a demon, you know, so it was always, always seeking ways to get, um, this demon exercised from me so that I would, you know, completely like women and stop looking at, you know, uh, looking at men. Um, so anyway, so that I dove into a marriage and kids and lost myself, but, you know, my, my self-worth was coming from giving everything to, to them. And I became an enabler. Eventually I became suicidal. Uh, I went into a a mental hospital for a while. And that's when I finally started to tell people that, you know, I was having homosexual tendencies as they call them in the church. Um, And so we started to try to pray that away. (laughs) It didn't work. So anyway, so I I ended up coming out late. So I was uh, 35 um, when I came out, left my family, left my wife, you know, had the kids every other weekend, but that's when I thought, I could finally be myself. This sure. is my chance to let everything out and be who I am. And all I knew about gays were will and grace and what I saw on the news in terms of um, the pride parades. Right. So in my mind, being gay was like a pride parade. You know, there was rainbows and glitter and celebration and all that stuff. And I had a rude awakening <laughs> when <laughs> I came into that world because, again so there, i could have had a different experience coming out if i still didn't believe that i was i could be myself i still didn't believe that i was always going to be left out i was always going to be excluded everyone's gonna not like me and so i had that experience um there was click it was very clicky it was very prove yourself first there was comments about what i was wearing um then i started getting feedback from other men that i was too effeminate <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, I've been hiding my effeminate nature all my life, and now I can't be effeminate either still in a gay, in the gay world. What is going in there? And so I went into this spiral emotionally of where am I ever going to feel right and right. accepted in myself? And so that's when I discovered crystal meth. And uh, crystal meth is rampant in the gay, the gay community. Um, It's kind of an undercover hiding in plain sight drug. I mean, it's everywhere all the time. And um, I, there's, there's an app, it's a hookup app for gays grinder. And um, basically with grinder, you can see any gay man within any range. Like he could be a mile away, two miles away, three feet away, but it's a, it's a radar. And um, at any time you can get on there and find crystal meth and parties of men doing crystal meth, and it's all sexual. So anyway, I ended up getting into that crowd because it finally felt like I belonged somewhere. But I didn't realize <laughs> I had money. I had money. You know, I at the time I had got I had received my doctorate. I was teaching MBA courses. I was working for a law school. I was making six figures. Um, and this kind of you know, I remember thinking the first time I did it, well, I finally found myself you yeah. could be sexually free. It didn't matter what you acted like, you know, it was all just, you were sex zombies and you know, all these hot guys were into me. And so it was like, I finally got it. And, um, I dove into that head first and probably in not probably, but within three years I had been fired. I had been arrested for possession four times. Um, I had lost my house, been evicted, um, and lost my car, of course. And I was using IV. Um, I was shooting up like three or four times a day, and uh, with some people. So when I find, I was the, I was the house, you know, headquarters for this group of guys. And when I got evicted, then I got thrown out <laughs> of the group, and I was homeless, and um, was kind of just existing under this tree and trying to get out and steal um, what I could to get money and that kind of thing. And finally I just, I I, had no strength, no money, no drugs and no friends. And so that's when I ended up finally breaking down and calling my mom. And um, luckily she came and got me. And uh, anyway, I had to give myself up to the police because there was an APB uh, for my arrest. And um, I gave myself up. I went to jail and, um, Got entered into drug treatment court, and with drug treatment court, yeah, you drug tested like four or five times a week. You have to go to rehab. You have to show up and do you know meetings every day and meetings with your counselor. And then I was also on probation, so I had meetings there. So it was basically a full time job for about a year, and but it's totally worth it if you can do it because right. all my charges were dismissed. Um, They paid for them to be expunged. And so in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, somehow, when the courts weren't in session, I got a letter saying, you're free. You're done. your all your charges are expunged. Um, Yeah. And so the last time I was in last time I was in jail, no one would answer my call because, you know, it was my fourth time. And um, the only people that finally would was my daughter. So she was 16 at the time, I guess. She and my son, it was 14. Came and picked me up, and it was the middle of summer. We went to a park, and at when I during all this time, my ex-wife also became an alcoholic, <laughs> oh, and so they actually were on their own, and in an apartment, and they were like, "We need a parent, <laughs> and uh, we have you need to make a decision here." And so I did, and that was my that was August fourth, two thousand eighteen, and that was my wow. my decision to get free from, from crystal meth. And, um, and I did, you know, I went through the motions to be honest with you for that 18 months. Um, I had to be sober, but it cleared my head enough that I got into, uh, I didn't, I didn't resonate with the 12 steps. Um, just didn't jive with it. I had to go because I was, I had to, but I got into a a spiritual community and um, we discovered, I, I discovered plant medicine, which is actually where my sobriety took a, a, a sharp turn and was able to to not to be free from crystal meth and now you know I've turned back after uh five years of five and a half years of being sober from crystal meth I'm able to turn back and be sobriety coach for other gay men who are trapped in this crystal meth pandemic yeah. epidemic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, thank you, man, for for sharing that. That's, 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 that's great. And I'm glad you're doing what you're able to do now. It's, uh, Lindsey's clapping over here in the comments. Uh, (laughs) Um, no, it's, uh, you know, for different reasons, but you know, they're kind of similar, you know, I've said it before too. I, you know, my parents weren't around, I was raised by my great grandmother, so they would show up or they wouldn't show up. They'd say they'd show up and they didn't show up. So I kind of had issues with that too. Like, you know, why don't they want me? and you know kind of reading uh through your stuff too it's like uh, from the ages one to seven you learn a lot and that's what a lot of things were going on from one to seven for me Hmm. and then i found alcohol and all of a sudden i could talk to the pretty girls i could talk you know Hmm. i was i was fitting in and alcohol gave me everything that i was missing all those things you know or or it filled the voids and i didn't have to feel the pain so i can relate to that quite a bit man I i can i can really relate to that um so man so much to unpack um so the 12 steps. So what, what got you, um, you got your doctorate? What?
1: Yeah. So I, I got my doctorate in, non, in executive leadership and I wanted to go to nonprofits. So, and I did, I went into nonprofit world after I got sober for a while. Um, and I was helping homeless veterans um, find housing and jobs and things like oh, that. Awesome. And that was, an, that was an honor of my dad. So, you know, I grew up with such anger and resentment uh, toward my dad, and he was a severe alcoholic, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, um, and I thought sexually abusive, which is a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole, you know, in terms of how we remember incorrectly. <laughs> you know, <both laughs> of our memories are not reality. Most of our memories are seen through the lens of whatever this belief is in the back of our mind. and so i had a fantasy memory so that i could somehow blame him for the way that i was um, plant medicine actually helped me see that memory as it really happened
0: really
1: yeah and it collapsed a yeah. whole story you know because i i latched on to this story this victim story of yes my dad molested me blah 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 but he didn't and so, when this came about and I realized that I was trying to latch onto this victim mentality and latch my blame onto him, it collapsed that story and set me free from it. And then I was able to move forward uh, with my own sobriety. So, the other thing about that is all this time growing up, I always said, you know, what kind of father would ever treat his children? The way he did. What kind of father would put alcohol first? What kind of father sure. would, you know, take me camping but get drunk and pass out by the fire, and then fast forward to me as a meth addict rushing my kids to bed so I could have a sex oh party. Oh
0: my God, yeah,
1: you know. Yep. And <clears throat> I realized in in this when I went to when I started getting sober, I was like, I'm going to make amends, you know, with my father. He was that he was he had passed on. Uh, I'm going to make amends with him. And then I started realizing, like, you are him. Like you, you did the exact same thing. And then this whole, another storyline collapsed And this story that I had latched on to that he was a horrible father disappeared. And I, I developed compassion, compassion that it wasn't him. It was his addiction. It wasn't him. It was his trauma. And I was able to actually see him for his true self, which is his soul self. Not this version that had been, you know, when I found out more about how he grew up, too, it made sense. But this this version of him that was so heavily soiled with trauma that he really was just making decisions out of addiction. And it just it just helped me not only just make amends, but it helped me cut this cord of energy that was going toward him, this hatred, this anger. And that made room for more self-love for me
0: wow man like dude (laughs) i'm just sitting here and i'm thinking about my you know one of my core issues that i've tried to address is my mother Hmm. you know and i always said i was never going to be like her i was going to be like i was going to have my kids you know i was going to be a great dad well i didn't see my kids in person for two years because of my alcoholism you know they Hmm. didn't want to even talk to me on the phone Hmm. you know and they're 11 now and that was between nine and ten you know and what you just said about your father and that that look, you know, that introspective look of, you know, I am kind of my mother and, you know, how can I hold these grudges against her when it is her trauma, it is her addiction that is causing a lot of these things. Dude, man, uh, shit, uh, this is a little heavier than what I thought it was going to be, but that's, that's great stuff, man. I, I mean, you're right. You're right. That's really, really good introspective look at
1: it. Yeah. And you know, it's paradigm shifts. It's perspective shifts, all, all spiritual growth, any kind of growth, mental, spiritual, emotional is just perspective shifts. And so in, in shifting that perspective of him, I went back and all my memories were new because I saw it as him reacting from his trauma and stopped taking it personally because nothing
0: was personal. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing in life is personal. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, there's something else that you said that I, I, I can relate to as well. I grew up because of my mother, a story my mother told me and and little memories that may or may not be true of being molested by one of my many stepfathers. And that really fucked with me too. And then come to find out, uh, within the last year or two talking to my mom, it was never him. It was apparently his sister. Mm. i don't remember any of that but mm. i can't remember any of it period i just know what i was doing as a ch- as a young child that only teenagers do and i'll just <laughs> say that and leave it at that you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. there are signs and i've been told by psychiatrists and stuff it, it probably happened but anyway yeah. it's uh you know it's really interesting um about making up the the uh the memories you know to kind of fulfill you know to, to to give explanation right
1: yeah yeah or, yeah yeah and and seeing them through this lens of whatever your belief is like you know for mine is i'm never i I will never be accepted was my belief you know and whatever it is it's some version as you know all addicts have some version of i am not enough sure or whatever that is i am not pretty enough or i'm not smart enough i'm not whatever enough and um i was just i'm not enough and so i'll never be my true self is not enough you know and i'll I'll never be accepted for who I am. Um, and so if you can invert that, you know, to I am wonderful the way I am, you know, okay. and then look back at your memories, but also look forward to see then everything kind of changes, you know. For, so for me, I noticed, we talked about triggers earlier or emotional activations. Yeah. I started to notice that even not getting an email or a text back, you know, would feel like a knife in my gut and I would spiral emotionally (laughs) and people would say you're insecure, you're too sensitive, blah, blah, blah. But when I dug into that, meditated on it, went to the plant medicine and really focused on what emotion was in my body when I didn't get that text back. Tune into that emotion and ask myself, when did I feel that the first time? When I felt it the first time, it would take me to some situation, you know, some situation with my dad <laughs> always right. of he of, of vying for his attention, but not getting it. And that's what really was bothering me. It's not not that person and not that text. So you have I had to really go in and heal that and collapsing those timelines and collapsing those stories helped me to see that, you know, when I didn't get a text back, it doesn't bother me anymore i know it's not personal for one thing but it doesn't evoke that same emotion either
0: Right know yeah well and uh so you talked a little bit about in one of the readings i was trying to find it so i could quote it but uh you talk about uh thinking versus emotional and from what i read from it you're 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 talking you know dive into the feelings and how those yeah. how those uh are affecting you um you know i was in treatment i was kind of a on another mindset. Like if I could remove my emotions, well, first of all, I wouldn't be human and that would suck. <laughs> but imagine all the great, the great decisions I would have made, you know, if I could just use my thoughts and eliminate the emotions. So yeah. Addressing those emotions, talk a little bit about the difference between thinking and, and, and emotions.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the, typically the mind is here for us to reason, you know, um, it's kind of a, if you could, I don't want to, I don't know how woo you want to get, but it's kind of, it's a, it's a three, <laughs> 3D function for us as Earth, sleepwalking Earthlings to use your mind to reason things. Um, what You know, what, what should I eat today or whatever? And so <clears throat> you can't think your way out of uh, a trauma and you can't think your way out of being sober, Of, of you know, of, of being sober either, because it, it's just a, it's a baseline um, reptilian function. But what we're moving into as a, as a society, as a collective is getting in, in touch with what our bodies are telling us, emotion, the heart. You know, the heart is actually the center of the body. I mean, if you know anything about heart math, if you can get your heart feeling safe, then it regulates the rest of the body. The brain actually listens to the heart. The brain doesn't even, it isn't even in control of the body. The heart's in control of the brain, who's in control of the body. So- <clears throat> What I mean by that, too, is just not only feeling into the emotion, but allowing it. And this is what was a huge healer for me, was when I felt anger, there's there's a message out here in the sobriety recovery community and the spiritual community to when you feel angry or you feel down, go straight to gratitude. You know, yeah, but look at the house I live in or sober and you know just start thinking of all the things you appreciate and that's all fine and good but not when it's bypassing letting that emotion run its course and i see it as a wave cresting and leaving and so when you feel angry at somebody is just stop and let it happen and feed it like intensify it like i will just I'll dive into it. Yes. I'm, I'm angry at this person. They did this, they did this. Like I will feed it and let it, let it go. And it, it rises up. Sometimes I'm crying. I was at a restaurant. Not This was actually not even long ago. I was at a restaurant and I got a text that triggered me and I just sat there and I felt it, and I was crying and it was just shaking and then it, it crests, it rises and then it leaves. Oh. But the emotions are supposed to do that. We aren't supposed to suppress them. Right. Because if you do, they're just going to come back stronger and stronger and stronger. It's like putting them under a pressurizer. Um, That's the part that that's the part that I don't think we're taught to do. Um, And it's not the main lesson is, you know, it's all about gratitude, gratitude, feeling good and, and appreciation. And that's all that's great in its place. So in everything we do, we have to think about what is the motivation of doing this? Right. Like if you send a a text that is what So I see, I use the example of I was in a group the other day and this lady was crying. Another woman walked up to her and started hugging her. Right. And so the two walk away from the situation and I heard the feedback from both. One of the lady that hugged walked away from it feeling so good because she had really done what her duty, she had supported her, you know, and she, her motivation was to make herself feel good. Mm. The other lady was offended. The other lady actually went, she got worse emotionally because she doesn't like to be touched. <laughs> Nobody asked her.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you yeah. know? And so you have to ask, what is my motivation here? Because if my motivation is to make this woman feel better, I'm going to ask, how can I support you? I'm going to ask questions about yes. what it is that she needs instead of a, making an assumption and making myself feel good by hugging her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Intent is everything. And that's what I try to tell people. Like if you need to say this, if your intent is, you know, just, and it's not selfish, then, then you should probably do it. Right. And then um, you talked about, man, I want to go back to that too. You talk about feeling the feeling when you're feeling it, you know, one thing that does, and I talk about it all the time, I journal, like I will write down, I, I just, I would be okay with not being here at all today you know i don't want to die but i don't want to live today and i'll write that shit down Hmm. i have written now today now since i've been in recovery and i'm learning more about this stuff and more about myself i have written some really nasty texts that never got sent but Hmm. i've typed them fuckers out so that they're there you know and i i really believe that you know i'll type it out sometimes and i'll let it sit and i'll i'll come back to it but I, I want to hammer home something here I, I think because I think that because of what you're saying and what, what I've been through, ignoring those things by going right to gratitude and acceptance and I've just I just talked about acceptance yesterday now I kind of feel bad that I even brought it up <laughs> now that we're having this conversation, but going right to gratitude and acceptance you're pushing those things to the side and those things are gonna they're gonna fester and they're gonna okay. grow and that was my go to my great grandmother's in the hospital right now. And I don't know what the future holds for her. She's 99. So, I mean, she's she's made it a long ways. Mm-hmm. But she did she raised her kids, then my mother, and then my, me. She's done more than any human should have to do. So, anyway, she's a great human. But her go-to when I was a kid, when my, when my parents wouldn't show up after they said it, was, well, don't think about it. Go play with your toys. You know, go go watch this. Go do this. Go do that. And so I learned to ignore those emotions and not address them all the way back then and that is a trauma that is a form of trauma yeah and so i think i think it's really important to for people to understand that it's okay to feel a certain way right like if you're pissed off that's okay that's that's don't go beat somebody's ass just because you're pissed off you know but feel it and get it out there absolutely man i love what you're saying
1: yeah yeah we just in getting into the energy work that i do with my clients too is you know there's so much energy that is stored in our body and it comes out in all kinds of different ways. And I follow um, Gabor Mate a lot. And yeah. you know, there's this book, The Body Says No, when the body says no, you know. And he talks about the physical manifestation of some of this. It's um, so a lot of people have a hard time buying that, but it's actually scientifically proven um, in that we, if we don't release these emotions, then they manifest in all kinds of other ways, physically and and mentally. And a step that I had to take early in recovery too is, you know, I was so hell bent on not being a victim, you know, in the beginning it was like I, I didn't want to be that that victim. But I also had to come to realize that I was victimized. <laughs> like my father, whether it was trauma or whatever it was, took away my childhood. I mean, those comments, those, one yeah. word, one sentence. I don't think you're my real son yeah. Stuck with me. And that took away not only my childhood, but it collared and grayed out most of my life <laughs> in the hell, you know, And so but I, I didn't want to. I had to go back and mourn that, you know, because, you know, one definition of recovery is, you know, getting back what was taken from you. Sure. I, my childhood was taken from me and my a lot, most of my life. And so I had to go back and mourn that I had to there's a difference between playing a victim and actually being victimized. And so I had to really balance that and go back and, and, and mourn that, that childhood and, and express that anger toward him too, that, that version of him.
0: Yeah. And you were able to do, you were able to do all this and express this and come to some sort of peace internally after he passed? Yes. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. After he passed, um, we I did all kinds of different <laughs> things. You no, know, I just I things. just think it's
0: important for people. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say I think it's important for people to realize that it there is there is a chance for that to happen. You know, even at that point, I've heard it plenty of times. Sorry, oh, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's fine. no, it's okay. Um, you know, there's that
1: the process of forgiveness is about you anyway, right? So you don't need that person there. And um, so I, just shifting my perspective of him, like I said before, um, was enabled me to to come to terms with that Um, and just see him differently and talk to him differently now and talk about him differently. That's the thing too, is that when I have conversations about him with with my mom, my family, my friends, people, I always, I I, my tone in the things that I say represent a different story, and that story represents a different identity. Like I present myself not as this poor child who you know grew up being abused. I I present myself as an overcomer. Sure. And that he was only doing the best that he could, and that really the way that you speak and present that is going to present a different identity for yourself. Yeah. And that that's it you on a different course as well in your recovery
0: Dude, truth. With a capital T man. Uh, uh, it's not, it doesn't have to do with recovery per se, but uh, I have an experience with that with, you know, when my marriage ended, <clears throat> you know, it, it wasn't the great, maybe we probably weren't the best fit for each other, but we did create two wonderful boys and now we co-parent, pretty damn well. And I'm super proud of my ex-wife and the job she's done while I was going through all this crap. And she's never, ever buried me or tried to bury me and and take those kids away. And I respect her. And I I wish her nothing but the best today. But what I used to do um, early on was I referred to her. And if she ever listens to this podcast,
1: (laughs) the Secret's going to be out. But I
0: referred to her as Satan. And it was always Satan. And so I kept creating this thing. And while I was doing that, and while I felt that, our relationship was crap. It was always tense. It was always, you know, I can now look back and even just having this conversation with you today that I was creating that, that the tense, you know, that tense feeling because I was portraying her in a certain way. And that was, you know, that's not fair. And now I've forgiven her and, you know, Mm -hmm. we text and we have, you know, great conversations. So Yeah. It's great stuff, man. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the power, the thing about the thing about plant medicine for me that changed and it comes back to, to that a little bit is that it was the first time I realized that I'm connected to something else higher than higher than me, but all the powers within me. And, you know, <clears throat> that's not a message that you get that I got in the church or the 12 yes. step. you know, is that you have to rely on something else.
0: Yes.
1: And, and honestly, it's all here and mostly in your heart it's all there in terms of how you see how you articulate the stories that you tell the stories that you create um it all it starts here and ends here now there are i I believe in in you know in powers outside of ourselves and a higher power and all that kind of thing believe in
0: all of that but when you become dependent on it you're not in control of your life Right. absolutely absolutely and that's the same same thing with me They, they see they're two different entities but they're they're saying the same thing that you have no power and you'll never have that power. And I feel like, man, that's 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 not that's not coming from a good place from the on the inside. I have to have some sort of power, like you know the the boy. I, <laughs> I get some hardcore people from the, the AA field coming after me sometimes yeah. because I say I'm not I'm not powerless over alcohol anymore because I can walk past it in the store and let it sit there. You know, yeah. it, it, it it's not doing push-ups. That's the fantasy world, right? <laughs> it's like it's not going to get into my body unless I go over there and pick it up, which I would be then giving the power to myself to, to make that choice. It's still coming from me. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Very so, true. Yeah. It's very so, true. Yeah. So what, uh, so you got a website, talk about your website and what you offer if you want to, and then yeah. kind of plug that a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, so I, you know, I've been coaching for over a year now and I've been every coach, imaginable. It, it's always been sobriety of some sort. You know, I was in empowerment sobriety. I was this, that was that. Um, and I've just, you know, I have now narrowed my target, that mark, target market down to gay men who are struggling with addiction. All of my clients right now are struggling with crystal meth because unless you're a gay man who has struggled with crystal meth you're not going to understand where you're coming from. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Same thing as anything else. So um, we're able to relate very quickly and I'm able to know and zoom, zoom in to exactly what they're they're going through um so i do offer coaching um for addiction and but it's right now i'm focusing on the the gay male crowd i really want to get i really want to get light a light shined on what's happening with crystal meth because crystal meth in the gay world is different than than it has its own quality as every drug does But it has, like I said, there's an app. There's several apps you can use. You can find it anywhere in the country within an hour. Um, There's parties going on always anywhere. Um, There's a Zoom channel, several Zoom channels where you go and you can you're using with other men around the world. So you can you can be doing that from your bedroom or or wherever. Um, There's Telegram channels. There's, you know, there's WhatsApp, all this stuff where you can go in exchange pictures or do things live or find parties and basically it the the drug zeroes in on men who have a high level of trauma who are insecure who you know there's there's a big problem in the gay world and i mentioned being ridiculed for being effeminate with internalized homophobia you know you're you're still not over not being able to be yourself so you are scared to be seen with or get triggered by a man who acts like a woman. You, you want a man who acts like a man because then people won't know. And it feels, it feels safer for you to be with a manly man. And so there's so many layers to all of that. And that takes all of it away. Right. right. And that lets you explore this, this sexual side of yourself that you couldn't before, because before you would feel shameful about it. Um, and so, It just really zeroes in on on those those type of men, takes them and it helps them experience what they think as is a world that is them. I have found myself finally, you know, just like I said. Um, And so my coaching program helps them see. Again, what we do is talk about their emotional activations. Um, I don't require them to be abstinent. We just—I let them decide. What is it you want? You know, do you? Sure. What What kind of situation is it? I'm, you know, big on harm reduction at first because I feel like it—it it needs to happen in a, in a, in a series and a journey. You know, I mean, yeah. each each relapse is is we celebrate relapse because it's a learning experience. We break it down. We track it. We see what we do next. We tweak and we move forward. It's not like, sorry, you have to get a new chip and start over and, you know, march in front of the crowd and show everybody yeah. that, you know, you know that yeah. you're a failure. Yeah. I don't believe in any of that. Um, yeah. And so um, we, we work through that, but really it's, it's, what what I'm getting my clients to understand is, the answer to you, your addiction is found when somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic. How do you react to that? Because if you're not, if your nervous system is out of whack, you're going to react in this ex- exaggerated way. So when you act in the, you, when your, your emotions are activated in an exaggerated way to what is seemingly a small stimulus, that is an indication that there's energy stuck. But it's also an indication that there's a belief in there somewhere, um, you know, like with my kids not cleaning up. In the very beginning, my kids wouldn't clean up after themselves, and I would go ballistic, kicking things and stuff. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, what is this about? And when I could go in, feel into the emotion, track it back, because the the nervous system, the body doesn't classify anything in linear time. So it, it classifies in groups in emotion. So the emotion that I was feeling in that as a Forty-year-old was the same emotion I felt as a seven-year-old. The body doesn't know the difference, right? The nervous system doesn't. Know. Anyway, right. so I figured out that 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 extreme reaction was me feeling shame about not being a father, being a drug addict, and what I did to them, and blah blah blah. It, was, it, it would track back to I'm not enough, <laughs> you know. And so it had nothing to do with them. But anyway, so what we do is we we little very meticulously think about all their emotional activations. We track them back. We try to replace them with new beliefs. And, um, you know, my, my goal is to them to graduate from the program and not think about, to be honest, not think about addiction and not identify with it. That was the thing of my past. That does not inform who I am. It, it informs who I am today, but it isn't who I am. Like, I don't have to say I'm an addict all the rest of my life. I, you know, I struggled with addiction and I healed from it. Is
0: my yeah. the same as the same as if you quit smoking, you're not a smoker forever, right? Right. You, know, you, you, we don't need to dwell in the past. Like those, of, I think you and I doing this, you know, we're still talking about our addiction because we're trying to help people. But right. I think it's totally healthy for somebody to beat the shit and walk away and never th- talk about it again. That's totally. That's that's a healthy living in my <laughs> my opinion. You know what I mean? If you're not trying to help people and you're just walking around, oh, I'm an alcoholic. And I got 40 years and I'm just coming here to drink the coffee. Sorry, I don't (laughs) want to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the first meetings I went to in a meetings, this lady was it was a speaker meeting and she talked about, you know, being sober for 20 years. But then she went on to describe this saga of her life. You know, it was just like. Always yeah. just triggered and wanting to use and she bit, but at least I'm not drinking and drugging, you know. It's all these all these fucking cliches that they throw yeah. out all the time that do no do no good, you know. Yeah. And I just left the meeting. I was like, is that my life? You know, I have to struggle with this for the rest of my life? I have to think about meth every day. No. <laughs> you know?
0: They they missed the part in the big book where it says alcohol is but symptom. right? Yeah. So it just taking yeah. away a symptom doesn't solve the problems that's the part that a lot of people miss yeah but dude i think your message is awesome man so um for so if if anybody listens to this that wants to to reach out are you just helping people locally or do you have uh, i know you have a website or whatever yes.
1: um, my website is uh, com. i i've all my clients are virtual and they're around okay. the world okay. actually yeah awesome So anybody wants to, if you know anyone or, you know, that that is struggling, if you have a gay family member or gay friend who is struggling with addiction, it's probably Crystal (laughs) Mask.
0: Well, I'm I'm so glad that you came on, man. And um, you have this out there to help people, um, you know, that might be feeling the same way you do. That's why we have to talk about this stuff and we have to get our stories out there. Somebody has to. Not everybody. Cause I know right. not everybody wants to share it, but those yeah. willing to do this is so important. So, you know, I was just looking at the distribution numbers on my podcast and I didn't even think about Apple podcast and there's people out there li- listening on Apple podcast. So hopefully somebody hears your message today that they either need the help or they know somebody that does, and maybe they can reach out to you and, and they can start to a, a better life, man. It, it really is a better life. And there is a chance to beat this shit, no yeah. matter who you are. That's right. Thank so, you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, man. I uh, keep up posting the good content. Um, this was a lot of fun. I like to keep these right around forty minutes because I think that's people's attention span. And I think, <laughs> man, I, I don't want to ruin it. This is this has been great. So thank you, Dr. Dallas Bragg, and and, and please reach out if you need anything. If you're listening to this, uh, reach out to reach out to him and uh, see if he can help you. So, thank you,
1: thank you very much for having. Yeah,
0: me. yeah, this was awesome. Oh, I get the mark off North Carolina right uh, on my map. So <laughs> another right. pushpin. Hell yeah. So, all right, have a great day and a great weekend, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.